Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Welcome back to the screening room. Some wildly different movies to talk about this week, but we'll have fun doing it. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com. And the screening room is sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. With a 70-foot wide ultra screen featuring Dolby Atmos surround sound and Dream Loungers recliners. First up this week, a movie that probably needs no introduction, but it's Anastasia and Christian getting married, but Jack Hyde continues to threaten their relationship. Final part of the trilogy, Fifty Shades, Freed. Good morning, wife. Good morning, husband. Please stop speaking to my husband as if I weren't here. Anna. <laughs> you may call me Mrs. Gray. We're being followed. How the hell are you, Anna? Jack, what do you want? <laughs> I made a vow to love you faithfully, forsaking all others for as long as we both shall live. I'm hesitant to say it, but this may, might be the best of the three. <laughs> yeah, is that is that high praise or no, not? No, it's because, not. No. Yeah, the, this is such a, a weird... Well, I guess it's not that weird. It kind of reminds me of the, the Twilight trilogy. So, And there's a reason for that, as you know, because the books themselves began as fan fiction, Twilight fan fiction. So, so they... I, I remember when you told me that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that can't be true. No, it's but true. It it's true. She wrote them basically so that the characters in Twilight had sex. That's basically what she did. And they sold so well, or they were oh. so popular as fan fiction, that the publisher said, well... Just make them real characters and don't make them, you know, the Twilight characters. And then, of course, they sold even more books as just different characters. But it is. It is the Twilight. It's a ribald Twilight. Well, I would get hung up on that point about real characters. I'm not sure they made <laughs> real characters. No. Because it's it's similar to me in Twilight for this reason. I mean, I didn't read the Twilight books and, and I didn't read these books. But the thing that really confounded me about Twilight was the whole basis of it being centered around this girl that's so special. That's what we're told through ad nauseum. Oh, she must be protected. She's so special. And there's nothing special about that character in Twilight. She's the least interesting character in the whole series. Now this, I think it it translates similarly because it's supposed to be so sensual and titillating and there's, you know, so much scandalous sex going on. And it may be that way when it's left up to your imagination on the page, but on the screen, it's not at all. It's boring. Yeah, the sex is boring. The sex is boring in these movies. It's boring. Just because I think they they just got it in their head that, well, as long as we show a lot of nudity, mainly female nudity, oh, that's going to be... No. It's just boring. Well, as we've said before, the two have, they have no chemistry None. whatsoever. None. Um, but it's not just that. I mean, it's just the direction and, and uh, not undoubtedly also the script. I mean, it's, it's just not a, they're not sexy movies. Right. They're not at all. You're, they're, you're right. There is no chemistry here. You've got Dakota Johnson, who I still think has some talent. Sure. And you've got Jamie Dornan, who I've been told has talent. <sighs> I, I'll, no, I'll be honest. I have, I don't think I've seen him in anything else. No, I have not. Nothing else. But he does some TV work, maybe some British TV. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we've been told that he's good in those things. So I'll take 
those people's word for it, but he's certainly not good in these no. at all. There's no charisma there. No, no in ca- fact, he in particular, but both of them seem from the very first movie to be sorry they signed this contract. Exactly, exactly. As as one of our friends mentioned, yeah, it's Fifty Shades Freed, freed from their contract to have to do any more <laughs> of these movies. And that's the feeling that you get. But then yeah. you have people like Marcia Gay Harden, you know, yeah. shows up as, yeah. as Christian's mother. You know, and these very fine actors. And then the director of this one and the last one, James Foley, he did Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Yeah, which wasn't sexy either. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. But there's more heat in that speech by Alec Baldwin yeah. in Glenn Gary Glenn yeah. Ross than there is in this entire series. It's that that's what really surprised me so much about the first one, because you 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 hear so much about these books and then you thought, Okay, wow, what are they gonna bring what are they going to bring to the to the screen? Nothing, and right. it's continued that way through these through these movies. Although now they've kind of they've had to expand the story that now they bring well, right. in some sort of thriller. Well, that kind of they kind of introduced that in the second film. So the first one was basically like, will she or won't she? How far will she go? Yeah. And then the and then and then this one, you know, they're married, and so their sexual antics are. Just what they are. It's just that what they've decided they like to do and and fine and that's right. that. Well, then they need another storyline. And so anyway, so so right. you know they 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 invest in this thriller that's ridiculous. But the other thing that goes wrong in that is that it gives you an opportunity to get to know these characters who are the most boring human beings ever presented on screen. Right. Which it- is why their sex is so bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything about it, the characters, the writing, there's there's no story to get invested in. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's like it's like a, a lifetime movie and a bad one at that. Yeah. You know, the people that, that like the series, as I always say, God bless you. you know, <laughs> that's my easy term to get. You're going to go see it anyway. You're going to go. The people that are going to go see this are going to go see it regardless of what any critics say. And that's mm-hmm, fine. Mm-hmm. If this is your thing, go for it. But from a standpoint of trying to make it a good movie, it's just not. No. It's, it's And it's probably a good thing now that it's just going to stop. Yep. So let's go to the other end of the spectrum in a big way for a good family film out this weekend. Feature adaptation of Beatrix Potter's classic tale of a rebellious rabbit trying to sneak into a farmer's vegetable garden. It's Peter Rabbit. Once upon a time, in a beautiful wood, there lived a rabbit named Peter, with a blue jacket. Sorry! And no pants. It looks like there's a new owner. This guy? Who does he think he is? This is our land! Hello, I'm B. Thomas McGregor. These gates are incredibly sturdy. I just need to keep the wildlife out where they belong. This is our ancestors' land. It's time to get our garden back. We're gonna need everyone. So I think the first thing to mention here is this movie is not really an adaptation of any particular Beatrix Potter book. They take the characters and then give it a new story. Right. It, it basically takes place after the end of the series and uh, Flopsy, Mopsy, Cottontail, and Peter are living still next door to, to the McGregor place, right. but their own parents, are the, the, the rabbit parents, are, are long dead, and, and they're uh, kind of making do, and, and uh, B played by Rose Byrne, right. kind of takes a liking to the the new neighbor who inherited the McGregor place, which is played by Donald Gleason, who we love yes, in all things. Exactly right. And Peter has kind of invested B with, you know, his parental affection. And so he doesn't like 
first of all, that that there's like some flirtation going on with the next door neighbor, but also Donald Gleason just closes off. He doesn't want any rabbits anywhere near the garden, and so that makes things tougher on Peter and, yeah. and his family. Peter feels threatened, and Peter is voiced by James Corden. Awesome. Yeah, he's he's the whole so vocal likeable. cast here is so great. Exactly, it it really makes for a a, a nice cast. You've also got. Uh, who am I forgetting? Daisy Ridley, Daisy Margot Ridley. Robbie. Yeah, so talented, yeah. talented yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. here. And it's great to look at. Yeah, very. The director is Will Gluck, who has done, uh, well, he did the Easy A a few years back with uh, Emma Stone. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. but then he stumbled big time with the new adaptation of Annie, which wow. was just terrible. But this, yeah, this looks fantastic, and it's the, the kind of movie that gives you enough story and enough, the comedy is kind of, I don't want to say it's violent comedy, but it is, but it's... It's cartoon violence. Yeah, it's, it's cartoon. Cartoon violence. So it's not so much that you would get upset about your kids watching Oh, no, it. no, no, no. It's that zany cartoon kind of Home Alone-ish right. uh, Absolutely. Kind, kind of violence. Yeah. And it's enjoyable enough that when it comes out eventually on DVD, and if the kids want to watch it 50 times in a row, <laughs> you know, it might not be that objectionable. Yeah. You know, and it's, no, it's lovely. It's charming. Yeah. It's fun. The leads are great. The voice talent is great. It does. Like you said, it looks great. It's yeah. just fun. It is fun. And there's enough humor there beyond the comedic violence. There's enough humor there, kind of wink, wink at the adults to yeah. keep you invested. Yeah. And, like like we said, the cast, everybody is immensely likable. I think it's probably a smart move to move past any particular story or book that people might remember from their childhood. Well, it's you don't so have to hard. worry about it. It's just the characters. Right. It's so hard to take, a ch- especially a child's picture book, because, you know, when you really boil it down, you're looking at, like, maybe 20 sentences. Yeah. And then... You know, taking that and, and filling in enough of the gaps that you try to... So it, it makes great sense to have done it this way. Yeah, it does. I was talking to somebody earlier today that was really concerned about this movie because she had certain stories that she really loved from her childhood, and she didn't want those stories to be the one they picked, which is understandable. Yeah. You know, that's the same reason I always give. I still haven't seen the Ron Howard version of The Grinch because right. uh, I don't want it ruined, <laughs> which uh, I avoided it somehow, but... So it's kind of the same thing here. They just took the uh, took the characters. I love those names, Flopsy and Mopsy. <laughs> by the way, I like those. Cottontail and Peter. That's right. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> took those characters and made a really fun family film out of it, and uh, gets a recommendation this week, and that's Peter Rabbit. And one more in wide release this week. It's the latest from director Clint Eastwood. Three Americans discover a terrorist plot aboard a train while in France. It's the fifteen seventeen to Paris. When you're working on a dream, at some point in time, a transition takes place. You learn how to leap higher. You start challenging yourself to dig deeper. Something in you that you never activated lying dormant in there. You've been chosen for this great work. I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just pushing us towards something, like some greater purpose? This is a tough movie to review because, uh, as you probably have seen from the trailers, instead of casting actors, he has the three main, the heroes, play themselves. Right. In, in a true story, a remarkable true story of, of heroism. And so it's tough to criticize it. And at the same time, I don't want to be completely patronizing because it is not a good movie. Right. Well, there was a movie that did this. With Navy SEALs. A few years ago. 
and it wasn't Clint Eastwood, but of all the directors to do this, replace quote-unquote actors with the real heroes, he would be the one that comes to mind because it almost seems like he's been leading to this now for some time. He's a very minimalist director. And if you see in interviews of any actors that have worked with him, he just seems to be so hands-off. You know, let's let's not overcomplicate the process. And he seems to be moving toward this, how far can he pare it down? Well, this is the next step. Not real professional actors at all, except, so, except in the beginning. Right. Well, the interesting thing about that, though, is that when he's working with somebody like, let's say, Tom Hanks... You don't have to put your hands on him, right? If he's working with with actors who know how to act, then they can figure it out. Um, And when you're working with people who've never done it before, they might. Now, now, I don't want to be completely unfair. The three heroes don't honestly do a terrible job. They don't. They acquit themselves well enough. The actual, the more objectionable... performances come in the the first act of the film where we're taken back to these three they're three good friends two of them with military experience one without and they're vacationing together in europe backpacking through europe Mm -hmm. and then they take us back to when they met in middle school at a christian middle school and just the hijinks that they got themselves into at the time and those are actors child actors yeah it's judy greer plays one mother uh, jenna fisher plays another thomas lennon yeah so people that you'll recognize and that's the ironic thing about this because those scenes stand out as wait a minute these are the actors why is this part of the movie so bad it's it's and it's it's the writing as much as it is anything they are it's so after school special it is so one-dimensional this environment is bad and these people are not doing a good job and it's so one-dimensional and judy greer is a tremendously talented actor and she has absolutely nothing to work with she's just the worried mom who stands and looks worried it's it's really unfortunate so that actually when they jump ahead in time and you're following these three young men uh, it's kind of a relief because I guess your expectations are lower and and you're feeling a little bit more generous about the performances because they're not actors and also once you actually get onto the train um, you and you can see what they do, and you can see how how the things play out. I mean, it's a very riveting, moving act of courage, and you can see how they're training, and, and you can see what led up to their sort of heroic behavior. Yeah. So it's. A, I mean, it's, it's a fascinating story. Sure. But it's very even even once you're on the train, very one dimensionally told. Mm-hmm. Well, it would surprise not surprise you at all to know that the the screenwriter this is their her debut, mm. Dorothy Blyschool. Mm is her name, and it's her debut screenplay. She's adapting the book. Yeah. Like you mentioned, like we've seen a lot of these movies here recently, true story of tremendous courage that deserves to get attention. It certainly does. And and you hate to have this come off as just a gimmick, these guys playing themselves. Yeah. Uh, Because, as I said, it seems like Eastwood has been moving toward this. I remember a few years ago in Gran Torino. Yeah. He had some of the the secondary characters as Mm non-actors, so... This tactic doesn't surprise me from him no, at all. No, uh, And it's just kind of a a mishmash, a weird mishmash in the way that it comes together with the early scenes of the real actors coming off so clumsily. And then even though the the heroic story has some tension to it, it still comes off as one-dimensional. You know, what I think is interesting, again, I think the biggest problem is the writing. It's poor. The writing is poor. And the three main players... It's based on their own. I mean, maybe it was easier for them to deliver because it's closer to their own language. And everybody else just had this flat dialogue that, 
was just perfunctory to to move the story along, to give you the sense, oh, they didn't fit in here. Oh, this is not a great environment for them. Oh, they're being oppressed and they're mm-hmm. being held back. And, you know, and it, it's just so cliff notes. Yeah. There's no depth to it at all. And then and the, the dialogue, honestly, is somewhat awful throughout. And even the three who allegedly delivered it in the first place, stumble over it. But they feel more natural, which probably makes sense, and, and more in their own environment, which also probably makes sense. That doesn't mean that their performances are good. They're not, but well, they're they're more enjoyable than the earlier part. And in a way, it makes me think of, so often in these types of movies, even in a movie that we just saw a few weeks ago, uh, the, um, the Horse Soldiers. Yeah, 12 Strong. 12 Strong. When those movies come out and everybody starts picking about, well, this didn't really happen, and this, they, they kind of embellished a little bit. Well, a movie like 15 to 17 to Paris reminds you that, you know, sometimes that's needed mm. to make a more compelling movie. Right. Because it is a movie. It's not a documentary. Right. And sometimes those types of things in the hands of a, of a skilled director, and I'm certainly not saying uh, Clint Eastwood is not one, but sometimes you need a little bit more of that window dressing to make it all come together as a movie. Sure. Uh, and this one, taking nothing away from the actual heroes or what they did, their courage, you can't really recommend the movie of the 15 to 17 to Paris. couple to talk about in limited release this week with the newest film from one of our favorite directors, Michael Haneke. It's a drama about a family set in Calais with the European refugee crisis as the backdrop. It's Happy End. Étrange. Qu'est-ce qui est étrange Que je sois là, présent. If you don't know Michael Haneke, oh, he's he's made so many great movies. Go back to Cachet, uh, The White Ribbon, uh, Amour from a few mm-hmm, years ago. Mm-hmm. He seems to move. He can move from language to language. He did uh, Funny Games, and then he did the shot-for-shot remake of Funny Games. He did Funny Games Games in German, and then again in English. Of course, Cachet is in French, and White Ribbon is in German. Uh, You know, it's, it's, he's so fluid, um, and and there are so many things that he takes from one film to the other. You can see themes mm-hmm. at play. And it's funny, a lot of times the characters have the same names. There's always, <laughs> almost always somebody named Anna. There's almost always somebody named George. There's always almost somebody named Eve. And it's interesting to me that he does that because he, he really, in almost everything, he's looking at human distance, intimacy, and just humanity. And not usually in a fun way. No, and, and but I would recommend anything that he does is worth seeing. Oh, I my, know yes. I want to see everything that he does. And this one, I'm not going to say it's among my favorites of his because it's not, but it's still effective. And the key word, you just mentioned it, on this movie is distance. It's all about distance and the things that are keeping us distant from one another and the things that we do to stay distant and try to protect ourselves as this family. It's centered on on a, a, a certain one certain family and uh, the things that are they're happening to them with new people coming into the family, uh, secrets and uh, and just the distance. Yeah, yeah. You know the opening. It's pretty lengthy too. It's not just like at the opening couple of minutes. Somebody is filming inside their house with a cell phone, and that's all you see is the cell phone and the, and then the texting that's going on, uh, and and it goes on for a while. And, I, and a lot of people at our screening kind of tuned out before you even got to the to the narrative, which is unfortunate because he's making a point about that about sort of how technology is 
undermining intimacy and in the same way, in a certain way, humanity. And then you come to realize the character that this who's holding the phone and then and then but you see a lot of other characters. You get to know who they are more by way of this faceless technology than by their own human interaction with other people in the room right, which of course is no accident no uh, absolutely not and uh Haneke never spoon feeds you anything no and you really have to keep up because you don't know okay wh- what wh- what character is that and what character is typing that and and this character and 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 then when you see a new face on the screen okay who is that and what's the connection if you're paying attention you will make those connections right. and it will mean more to you once you do but but you're right it's it's all about having you feel the kind of distance that he is talking about. Uh, you're feeling that way in in seeing these characters interact. You, you want to know more. You want to get closer, but you can't. But there are certain scenes where you realize, if you haven't already, you realize he's made you uncomfortable. There's a particular scene where uh, a, a woman, a stepmother, asks her, her stepdaughter if she could just watch the baby for a few minutes. It, you know, it's just done in passing. And then I realized, no, no, wait, don't, don't. You know, for no good reason. It's just he's created this tension in you that really maybe none of these people are that good. Right. And we've already learned a few things about that stepdaughter that make us, oh, do we want to have her watch this baby? Right, right, right. Uh, so it's things like that. He does make you uncomfortable on purpose. And Isabel Huppert is, uh, leads the cast. Toby Jones is yep. in it as well. Oh, you might recognize. Uh, but er- And the, uh, the man from Amour. George. The older man from Amour. Yeah, Jean-Louis Trintignant, I'm just going to leave it at that. I probably butchered that, but is in the cast as well. And it's solid top to bottom. And like I said, it's not it's not going to jump to my to the top of the list for my Michael Haneke movies because uh, I think I like them all. Oh, yeah, uh, I love but, yeah, most of them. Yeah, but he's so, so skilled as a director and a writer. If but, you uh, are familiar with his work, this movie to me is the closest sort of a, a combination of Benny's video and Amour, mm-hmm. which... From the outside, you're like, those seem like wildly distant films. But, but I, I, you know, I, I found a lot. You can see a lot of his same themes running through everything. And this one is almost to me a culmination of all those things, which I also think might have been a little bit of maybe why it didn't work as well as some of his others. He's so invested in this idea of distance that he really keeps you at arm's length. And in certain instances, it's it, it almost feels like pulled punches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, although it still does pack a little, uh, pack oh, a little especially wallop, the last scene. wallop at the end. Yeah. Uh, but I, but I, I hear you. That's a fair point. Although still, we would recommend, especially for Michael Haneke fans and are used to his style, you definitely want to check out Happy End. Also, in limited release, well, there's three programs, really, and we always look forward to these. It's the programs of the Oscar-nominated short films. Yes. So you've got the live-action program. You've got the program of... Animated. Animated. And those actually, those are usually shorter, and they are. Mm-hmm. So they, to uh, make a full feature length, they throw in some other great uh, animated shorts that aren't nominated, mm-hmm. but still worth seeing. So, And then you've got the documentaries as well. So those are going to be out there if they're in your area and you like short films. I would definitely, we would definitely recommend those. So great. Always fun to check them out. There's some good stuff there. Looking at the releases this week in home entertainment, DVD. And Blu-ray and the whole bit. Well, Bad Mom's Christmas Boo. is just bad. Really one of the worst movies I think I saw last year. Yeah. Um, not good at all. Also, Only the Brave. Now, that one, that was one about the hotshot firefighters. Yeah, that better than expected. really was. Yeah. I thought it was well done because it invests enough in character, especially right. the two main 
the the, the main character um, played by Josh Brolin, and then his wife played by Jennifer Connelly. They really invest there, and it pays off. I was uh, I was impressed. I was quite surprised at how much I enjoyed Only the Brave. Also coming out this week, Suburbicon. Now that one, that was a polarizing film. Actually, you know what? That's not even true. Most people just didn't like it, but we liked it better than most. Yes, better than most. In fact, some people just flat out hated Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And I understood their point. I do because it it, it balances a a very crazy type of uh, hyper idealized parody about suburban life in the fifties and how oh we all thought you know that was supposed to be the good old days. And all this craziness going on in one house with right next door to that house a very serious bit of racial tension. Mm -hmm. And so doing that, you risk minimizing a very serious, you know, very serious issue that still sadly is raising its ugly head today. And I I get that. I get that uh, criticism. For me, it did not minimize it. And that's probably why I liked it more than a lot of people did. Mm -hmm. A lot of the reviews I saw. Uh, it's George Clooney as the director, mm-hmm. and uh, you know if you've already seen any of his movies that he's directed, he wears his heart on his sleeve. He does. And he does it in this movie as well. And it's from a, an old script by the Coen brothers, mm-hmm. uh, who are great. Clearly. Uh, yes. Um, so, it you know, it doesn't work 100% of the time. I, I wouldn't go that far at all. But for me, it was worth worth seeing. And one where, yeah, I was surprised at how much negativity it got. That's Suburbicon. Also out this week, another one that nobody liked, including you, except for the lead performance, and that is LBJ. Yes. And the other thing is, I don't think anybody saw it. I, I don't. I think I might be the only person who saw LBJ. <laughs> Woody Harrelson is great as the title character, uh, but it is it is just a mess. And I mean, the, you know, there are some great performances actually throughout. Richard Jenkins is good. Jennifer Jason Lee is good and almost unrecognizable. It just doesn't do justice to really any part of the story. It was really quite disappointing. Yeah, it's Rob Reiner as the director. So really, I think you're right. It just disappeared immediately. And it was just kind of got lumped in. I mean, Woody Harrelson made so many movies last year and had, <laughs> had such a great year yeah. that this, despite his really solid performance, just got uh, instantly forgotten because the movie was just deserved to be forgotten. And one more, Tom of Finland uh, is out this week. And this is a small film, an art house film, and it's actually really quite good. And it's about uh, an iconic figure in the gay art world who really just shook the world in the late 70s and early 80s. And if uh, if you're familiar with that name, Tom of Finland, then you probably already know that you need to see this film. All right. So looking forward to next week, a big one, a huge one, getting a lot of buzz. And we're excited to see it here in just a few days and to talk about it next week. And that is Black Panther. Woo-hoo! Looking forward to that. Also out next week, a new animated movie called Early Man. So uh, we'll check that one out next week as well. Until then, let us know what you thought about any of the movies from this week or thoughts about Black Panther. Getting excited for that one? Let us know. Easiest way to keep the conversation going is on Twitter. You can find us at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F, on Facebook and on Instagram. We're at Mad Wolf Columbus. And, of course, the main website where you can check out our written reviews of these movies and more movies and just some crazy fun. You can find us MadWolf.com. So until next week, The Screening Room is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group. And sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. With the Dream Lounger Recliners. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.